Hi, Bob. Hey, Kevin. How's it going? It's going. We've got a special guest again this week. We do. It's uh, Sons Month here on the uh, Bob and Kevin show. Uh, last episode, we had Grant, Kevin's oldest, and this week we have Josh Beatty Bar, my oldest. Josh, you want to say hello and introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Uh, hey, guys. How's it going? I'm Josh, uh, Bob's oldest son at 23 years old. I'm currently working as an audio engineer and media producer and also have a day job in the association management industry to supplement my income. Josh is the uh, official engineer, producer, sound god for the Bob and Kevin show for the last uh, couple months now. So we're happy to have you aboard and happy to have you on the episode. Yeah, thank you. I've been uh, keeping it pretty simple for you guys, but I know Kevin has requested some audio pyrotechnics, so maybe yeah. that can be one. Of I don't our even know what that means, as well. but you know, I, I would like whatever <laughs> well, those <you're>, are. <laughs> your new little toy, I think, could totally count as audio pyrotechnics, right there. So yeah, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna hit the button here because I can go from just regular Kevin to voice of God, Kevin. And then right back again. I, it's pretty cool. Not going to lie. <laughs> you are listening to The Bob and Kevin Show with Bob Beatty Bar and Kevin Gisheski. Each week we cover relevant tech and social issues related to technology. Our website is bobandkevin.show. And our episodes can be found virtually on any podcast network. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just search for Bob and Kevin Show. Josh, my first question for you as a professional audio engineer, you would prefer that not to happen in files that you're provided, <laughs> correct? Or like, would you like effects pre-keyed in or would you rather have notes to do it all in your controlled environment? I mean, it really depends um, if the flow is important for you guys and the easiest thing for the flow of the recording is for Kevin to just, you know, punch it and do it right then, then I don't really mind. Um, with music, it's more important for it to not be in there, you know, because I want to be able to like blend those in musically so they're not covering anything else. But if it's just Kevin talking and Kevin's going to affect his voice real quick like that, then I probably wouldn't so try I've, and do it in post. I've got so an opinion on is. this, which, shocker, Kevin's okay. got an opinion. So I do a lot of video stuff and Grant from last week, he does a lot of video stuff. So there's you know, special effects, when do you put them? So I've always gone by the rule on video, at least. If you can get an effect in camera rather than having to do it in post, it can sometimes be a lot better. It's just more believable. And I was curious, you know, is, you know, maybe you've already answered this. Um, is audio the same way? Because, for instance, when you record video, you usually do it very flat colors. And then you almost always do your color grading after uh afterwards right. however as we learned last week you know if, if you can actually get that background not to be a green screen and it's you know using that uh you know mandalorian thing i could see where that's so much easier for both the actor and both uh you know the camera people so if i say pretend that i now have the voice of god you know now you don't have to worry about because you can actually hear it and then you don't have to be like oh he's gonna be like oh you know heavenly or whatever so i i guess i'm giving take on that yeah that's interesting i understand it for video and i get what you mean like practical effects versus uh like digital or post-produced effects for audio there's not a whole lot of like practical effecting you can do um i think most of this stuff especially reverbs like that would be added in post like in the in the early days of audio you know they would do them practically where you know to get that you'd actually have to have like a sheet of metal you would like run the sound over and like capture the vibration of the metal to get that reverb effect. But, you know, now they're all just circuits. So it doesn't really make a difference to me pre or post, I don't think. So it's funny that you bring up this pre post conversation, though, Kevin, because unbeknownst to me, because I'm not quite as smart as you two cats, uh, Kevin sends his audio to Josh rendered with his, you know, full stack in effect, his pre-compression, you know, like he has his voice all sweetened up and just sends it over to Josh. I have an effects rack in my DAW too, but I don't actually ever render my file. <laughs> I send Josh the raw recorded file. I didn't realize that initially, but 
I don't know. I mean, the sound that we get back seems like it's pretty well balanced. So, so before sounds you, like we're still in the same yeah, room. Before you say anything, Josh, I just want to walk through my stack, if you will. So I've I've got the SM fifty one of the two. I always get fifty seven fifty eight messed up, but anyway, I've got one of those, and then it goes from here into a preamp, just a, a really basic preamp with um, the Behringer has got very flat levels, no EQ going on there. Then I go into a rack mounted EQ, a hardware EQ, uh, DBU, I think is the name of it. Of whoa, and then from there I go into a rack mounted uh, noise gate and compressor. So that by the time it actually gets back to my computer, it's already got all that hardware processing. Now, you may be saying, Kevin, it's the digital age. Why don't you just have the freaking computer do that? <laughs> well, I will say that I really just like hardware stuff. Anything I can not make my CPU do, because while we're in this call, we have to push a video feed. We have to have a separate soundtrack, you know, audio go out to each of you. So I like to have that all like in my stack beforehand. And then go into my computer. Of course, Bob's like, that's overkill. Why do you do that, Kevin? But anyway, what do you think about that, Josh? I think that's actually super cool. Um, hardware hardware processors are something that I've I've been interested in for a while, but uh, I, as a poor recent college graduate, do not actually own any hardware units. Um, the only hardware I have is this microphone and my uh, my audio interface. So... I'm a little jealous, honestly. That's that's <laughs> well, pretty cool that you've got all that stuff to well, play around I, I with. Kevin's a rocker from way back, though. Yes, that's why he has all that exactly. shit. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm repurposing my old uh, music gear. So this used to be my bass guitar stack. And then now okay. I, I play at a church, and that's all. <laughs> it's, it's the complete opposite. Basically, we run it into the mixer, and then they do everything uh, that way. Um, but fret not, young college budget uh, people. You can get these rack mounted things on eBay used um, for under a hundred bucks, usually each. So each one ha it has two channels. Uh, so when I've got one of my kids in studio, I try to run me through one channel and him through the other channel, just mono. And then, uh, yeah. So yeah, it's probably overkill. But I'm also thinking I'm just reusing some of the gear I got at my house. And plus, everyone at work's like. What is this guy? Think he's awesome or something? He's got all this setup, and it's you know, you know, we just need a webcam and a mic, right? <laughs> so there's that. Yeah, when we first went 100 remote, I got a lot of raised eyebrows when I would jump on calls. They'd be like, "Whoa, what's what's going on here? That's that's a lot of gear." <laughs> <laughs> it's a perfect time to plug your podcast to your coworkers, man. I do it all the yeah, time, and then they get, give me the eye roll, like. Ugh. Don't don't think I'm gonna <laughs> listen, man. It ain't happening. So, <laughs> what mic are you using, Josh? I actually have a Shure uh, KSM eight, so it's kind of like a top shelf model of the SM fifty eight. Oh, um, it's it's similar. It's a dynamic microphone, so much like your fifty eight or fifty seven. It doesn't take phantom power. It's not a condenser microphone, um, but it does have a a very different uh, frequency response. So if you look, uh, you guys know like what the EQ plot looks like, right? You've got your graph going from, you know, your low frequencies to your high frequencies. Bob and Kevin um, are both nodding right now. <laughs> yes, they're agreeing. Yeah, uh, great radio. Thank so you for the a frequency, <laughs> there you go. Frequency response um, is, you know, like a plot on that graph that uh, details the sensitivity of the microphone. So those ones are, are mostly pretty flat and uh, they've got a presence boost in the like, two and a half to three kilohertz area, um, you know, which is a little brighter. That's like the high mid area of your voice. This has uh, a lot more going on um, than that simple boost. There's a, a pretty decent high shelf. So up on the high end, um, it sounds a lot, you know, like crisper. They call it air up in that area. So marketing term. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Marketing terms, buzzwords, <laughs> you know, you could get to the science and the graph of it, but it's just to fancier sounds nicer out of the box, Mike. Kevin, did I tell you when Josh helped me audition a bunch of mics when we started doing this a long, long time ago? Nice. <laughs> he actually he actually borrowed a bunch from one of the shops that he works in. Uh, Josh, feel free to plug Waveform if you want. Uh, oh yeah, Waveform LLC, uh, Batavia, Illinois, local recording studio and uh, live sound company. So if you guys are looking for any uh, studio recording or sound reinforcement we're pivoting into video stuff too uh check out waveform llc find us on facebook 
but yeah, so he brought a bunch of mics home and he was like, let's just record you and see which one you like best. And I was like, really? It's up to me? And he's like, it's up to you. <laughs> so Josh, I've got so many questions. And, and first off, let's take a step back. I think when we actually thought of this episode, we're like, let's do audio engineering. I thought you're, you thought maybe this wasn't good enough for a tech episode. I think this is the perfect topic for a podcast and okay. tech. So Man, I've got questions. I've got all kinds of questions. So the first question I have is, is you're talking about the frequency range of the voice and boostings and stuff like that. I have an EQ over here. So what did I set mine up to? Honestly, I Googled it. What, is, what should you set your EQ to if you're doing voice? Is that a good thing or is it super specific to me and I should just be playing around with each frequency? Um. There, there are some some general rules just for the human voice that will kind of apply to everybody, um, but they'll be dependent, uh, you know, on like the specific frequency um, that'll be unique to each person in their individual voice. So uh, there's usually a lot of a lot of boominess, especially in male vocals, around the like two to three hundred hertz range. So it's very common to do like a, a little bit of a cut in the two to three hundred hertz range. Um, I don't know if you've got anything going on there, but that'll just kind of help to uh separate like the lows and then the high mids of the voice just cleans it up a little bit i think kevin Adam, quickly leaned over <laughs> and checked his board i think yeah. at 180 to 250 i think i do have it dipped down and then i have a peak let me let me find the frequency <laughs> 63 and 1.5 megahertz i don't know if those even make sense if i'm even reading it correctly does megahertz even make sense probably kilohertz i don't know yeah, uh, kilohertz, megahertz is much higher. That's like that's like cell stuff, okay. right? Cell All phone right. technology and I wireless. know not what I don't know. Um, <laughs> no, it's all right. So yeah, that's again pretty common. So for radio, like you want to accentuate that low end, so your boost at sixty two is doing that's making you sound you know nice and big and present. And then uh, that that one point whatever you said is actually very similar to that uh, that presence boost on your mic that I mentioned earlier. So that's built in a little bit, but it just helps to bring it a little more forward. You say, again, these are like theoretical terms. It doesn't really bring it forward, you know, but it just like psychoacoustically feels closer to you. Oh, Josh, settle a debate, please. I use an SM57. Bob uses an SM58. From what I can tell on the internet, it's the same cartridge, everything. It's just got a different head. Is that a true statement? That is a true statement. Yes. It's the same capsule, same cartridge, as you would say, um, <laughs> Dustin 58 just has that grill and a built-in pop filter. So that's, you know, that's the plus. That's why they use that one for vocals. That little round ball has some foam inside of it. So like if you didn't have a, a pop filter like both of these guys do, you guys can't see, but they've got uh, little foam coverings on their microphones. So those are additional, but with the SM58, it's not super necessary because there's a little bit built in. I think I do that because I'm overly SE and overly poppy probably so yeah the poppy especially if you're close i don't you guys can't hear it because we're not monitoring through my mic i'm recording right now but i'll probably have some of those too since i'm so close so, so make me feel a little bit better kevin just outlined all this cool shit that he does to his voice <laughs> before you get it please tell me that you do that similar cool shit to mine oh yeah so okay. i mean my goal again is to put out a good product for you guys so what i get from kevin i actually process a little bit additionally um, to kind of smooth it out, the compression that he's got going on is is good tonally, um, but there's still some some issues with the dynamic range. There's still some parts that jump out as very loud. So oh, I'll do just some Kevin. extra. Uh, well, <laughs> well, yeah. Well, that's what a compressor does, right? It basically compresses the dynamic range so that you don't blow out the audio, right? So, am I correct right. saying that? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Generally, that's correct. It's a special kind of limiter. I was doing homework, guys. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> I cheated, Bob. Well, that's actually a pretty good segue, though, or just for a, a tangential topic, because that's what we do here on the Bob and Kevin show. Uh, Josh was very concerned coming into this episode that we didn't give him enough um, creative direction on what we were going to be discussing on today's show. So I guess uh, we've disclaimed this several times throughout the course of the, the program, but Kevin and I typically don't share each other. We don't share each other's notes um, before an episode to kind of enhance that dynamic. And really, I would say more episodes than not, we don't have a very deep 
outline anyway. It's like, here's the two topics we're going to cover. Here's the three topics. Now there are some of them that we take a deeper dive on and we will do a lot of homework, but for the most part, our episodes are one to record as you witness at the beginning and we go. So, um, I know you work with some other podcasters, Josh, what's your sense if you're allowed to talk, I mean, you don't have to mention names or shows or anything if you don't want to, but is your sense that they are very scripted or very free form as well? I think, I think it's very common for them to be free form like this. Um, for some of the ones that I have more of a production role versus just editing, um, they are a little more scripted. So I know for you guys, we, you do a cold open, um, and then we kind of drop your intro in where it fits best We'll throw your little disclaimer in if it, uh, you know, needs to be used. Because <laughs> we like but to get paychecks other... afterwards <laughs> from our jobs. <laughs> yeah, <Still>. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, gotta, continue. Got to keep them safe, right? Yes. Um, we can say whatever. We've yeah, disclaimed, so some, right? Right. That's right. Um, so for these others, though, uh, I do use a little bit more of a scripted formulaic approach um, just so there's some familiarity, you know, so the opening won't be like a cold open and then you know, uh, the intro at a different spot, it'll be the same, like introduce the episode number and title. Then you've got like a series introduction for the podcast, you know, which is like, like your, your theme song or like, you know, the opening that introduces the host, um, you know, and then some people have a specific greeting they like to use every time. So they'll do that. Um, but then from there, you know, it's free form and they'll, you know, banter with their guests as needed. What about, um, episode, the closings also, what about episode length real quick? I'm curious. Cause we're at about an hour and we just pulled that out of the sky. We're like ah, an hour, but Joe Rogan's three hours. And then I've seen other podcasts are like 15 minutes. So I'm curious, what's the, what's the mix of length look like? For what I'm working with, um, they're mostly long format like yours. Uh, so people who are doing more talk shows like this. I actually listen to some shorter ones on my own as well that are are much more produced. They're more like like radio segments, kind of like NPR episodes almost, um, where you know they'll have a specific formula for the episode. They'll cover all their content and you know very very cut and produced blocks, and then you know the episode's over in fifteen twenty minutes. I did uh, interrupt you. You were saying about the closings. Are they? Um, yeah, how do you close a podcast if you're not the Bob and Kevin show? Or, you know, are we just like, we have a hard time going, okay, I think we're done. I think we should stop recording. Yeah, yeah, I think we should stop recording. All right, you sure you don't want to say anything else? Yeah, I think I'm sure. You know, we just kind of meander and then like we're done. So what do other people do? Um, there, there are a couple that are similar. You know, once you get to the end of the conversation, you, I mean, you've got to kind of state it out loud like that because you're just talking, right? Um, but then after, you know, you guys have your little, uh, connect with us, uh, clip that we add at the end of the show. Um, most of the other ones have something like that as well. You know, they'll have, uh, again, like the same, uh, salutation that they'll use to like close the show. Um, I have a couple that I work with from Hawaii and so they'll always say aloha together at the end of their podcast to end it. Um, you know, but then after that, they've got also like a connect with us kind of clip that we'll play at the end. So your, your ending is closer to those, you know, than the opening, I would say, actually. Question. So there there's like two formats, at least two formats of podcasts that I've seen. So sometimes you'll have an interview like this, and then they'll do a post-interview re- recording, put a bumper on the front and a bumper on the end. Hey, today we talk with, you know, Josh Beatty Barr. And, bl- and then they like segue into the actual interview. Then they'll end the episode with... Well, we just got done talking to Josh Beatty Barr. You know, it's kind of like, you know, they, they pull themselves into a different time envelope, if you will. Is that common? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any clients that do it like that? I'm just curious. I don't have any clients that do it like that, uh, but I totally know what you're talking about. I listen to some podcasts that do it that way as well. I think that's more common with people who are uh, kind of like cataloging content. You know, they'll record an episode maybe a week or two before it airs. Um, and maybe even record multiple episodes before the first, you know, in those like series of recordings airs. So, um, I, I think from what I've understood, that's why some end up like that, you know, but yeah, I don't know. A little more uncommon, I'd say. I did that with my friends are amazing and I have no idea why. I think it's because I was totally emulating Rogan and he does that. And so I figured for my friends are amazing. I'll do the pre and the post. <laughs> well, I mean, there's an advantage. But I did them all that same moment. 
there's an advantage to doing that because you can kind of go back and give context if you listen to it and realize if you didn't give enough context if you forgot something or you know if if time has passed and some news event happened you can kind of say well at the record at the you know when this was recorded the coronavirus wasn't yet a thing you know and you know it happened you know in the span it took so i i can see that but for us i'm not sure you know it wouldn't work so much for us i also see it more um useful if you were a, a single podcaster meaning didn't have a co-host because then you can kind of have a, a narrative it happened now you can talk about what happened lead the conversation into it and pull yourself out so i don't think it works for us but i it just seems like a real common one. I, I've been listening to Lex Friedman recently. He's on uh, Joe Rogan every now and then. He's a physicist, computer scientist from MIT, all kinds of, we steal so many topics from some of the stuff he talks about. And he does that in his podcast. <laughs> so, Burning question. I use Reaper <clears throat> as my digital audio workstation. It's recording me right now. It's not free, but it, you can use it for free. But I, I bought the $60 license or whatever. Bob, you use nice. a, Adobe uh, Audition. Does that sound right? That is correct. Adobe Audition, yes. And so what does a professional uh, audio engineer use, Josh? Um, I use Pro Tools as my DAW of choice for most things. Um, it's kind of the industry standard for recording music, especially like uh, at like large format, what do you think of like a classic recording studio with a big console? Uh, Pro Tools was like, you know, the original software to target that market. So it kind of got adopted as, you know, the uh, software for studios. So um, yeah, Pro Tools is what I use for most of my recording and editing. Uh, for some of my personal music, I use a different DAW called Ableton Live, um, which is more for like loop based or electronic music. Um, but yeah, for most of my most of my work, it's in Pro Tools. Nice. So we've got a little recording studio down the road from me called Sweetwater Sound, and I believe they use all of that <laughs> sorts of things. Um, and whenever I go there, it's just like a, my my checking account is at risk, you know, because there's just so many cool things. So is Pro Tools is that a Mac or a PC platform? Do you recall? Um, I believe it was originally for Mac, but it's it's both platforms gotcha. now. I run it on PC, uh, actually at at most of the locations that I use it. Um, but yeah, it'll run on both. Awesome, Bobby. You looked like you you had a burning question. Well, and it's, uh, I, I just trying like is Pro Tools risen to the level that it has is that a marketing thing or is there something that Pro Tools gives people in your profession that that we don't have using Reaper and or Audition? Um, their big thing, uh, again, like I said, they were really the first to break into this. Um, and they had hardware units that actually had uh, like CPUs inside of them. So what you could do is use outboard processing, outboard digital processing. So instead of all your plugins taking up resources on your computer, um, they actually were being run uh, digitally on the Pro Tools hardware machine, so your computer had to handle less work. So basically, so what Kevin's, doing Kevin's stack is what you would prefer. <laughs> 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 yes, I mean, obviously, now that we're in the digital age, we'd prefer it to be digital. But again, taking taking the load off of your main CPU is always ideal. So me, on the other side of the coin, I don't really have a stack because apparently I don't need to overcompensate. But, uh, <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> hey, I'll have you know, I've had many midlife crises and none of them have <laughs> bought me gear. Actually, I take it back. You can see all the guitars behind me. That's my yeah. anyway. Kevin's not I Kevin's not broadcasting from Guitar Center or Sweetwater. That is actually his his office. Somebody <laughs> did ask me at work recently whether or not this was a Zoom fake background because you can use Zoom and trade out your background. I'm like, they're like, why do you have like a, a guitar store as your background? I'm like, it's not. And I move my camera. <laughs> I'm like, wow. <laughs> but I have a pretty simple setup comparatively. Like I have a Euphoria. So it's a Behringer 404 HD. So I got four channels. Um, I use a cloud lifter just so I don't have to dial things up as it's going in. It just kind of like little bumps it up before it goes in. And then I'm USB out of that straight into 
you know, audition. It's like pretty lean setup. I just, yeah, I guess it I works. Mean, for, it does work. And that's really all you need on the front end, honestly. Um, like we talked about previously, all of this stuff can be done in post, uh, like I do on Bob's voice and like I'll actually do with my own. I'm recording my own voice, just clean, direct my microphone to my interface to my Pro Tools recording software, and that's it. Um, I'm going to add all that stuff in post. But yeah, uh, two, I don't know. Two it's interesting all the options. With video. So in video, you can do, or photography in general, you can do two bad things, and it's almost like, uh, it's it's lost. And that could be overexposing the picture or underexposing the picture. So in audio, you can do a lot in post, but what you can't fix is um, an overdriven voice or just one that's too faint or too noisy, right? Those are like the three things that if we gave you craptacular audio, there's only so much you can do, right? Correct. There's only so much you can do with that stuff. Um, there have been a lot of advancements in uh, actually like AI processing and a lot of the cool digital post stuff you can do to repair audio. Um, I have a pretty cool suite of software called, uh, it's made by the company Isotope and it's their RX software. Um, it's specifically like audio repair software. So I actually have a module called uh, Declip. So if, if something were to get overdriven, you know, if the gain were too high and it distorted, there's actually a way someone's written an algorithm that can go in and, you know, read the audio and see like where the hard edge was, where it distorted, and it'll go and use some magic, you know, tech wizardry, some, some software magic to, you know, figure out what it should have been like if it hadn't been distorted. And then it'll like fix it and render it for you, you know, fixed. That's awesome. You know, that's a perfect segue because today's episode isn't just by happenstance. In fact, it's brought to you by Beatty Bar Media. And so, you know, it's my turn to do these live reads. Bob usually does them, but I just want to make sure everyone know that Beatty Bar Media is an online editing and production company that specializes in music, podcast production, and video services for creators of all backgrounds. So not just Bob and I, people who know what they're doing probably too. So their efficient <laughs> and reliable service will save you time and stress on any project. And Bob, can you make time? No, you cannot. You can make only time. what? You can only what? You can only take it. Take Josh, time. how many times have you heard that in your life? He has told me, and I'm sure he's told you. Don't answer that rhetorical question. All right. So what <laughs> Beatty Bar Media does for you, um, you know, well, for us, you know, a, we get this awesome episode where we talk about all the nerdy audio. It's like audio porn right now. It's like, ooh, talk to me <laughs> about compression. And so, of course, we got... Um, yeah, I hope that was okay to say. Uh, I, you know, and we have to learn about all this stuff. Am I, is Kevin overdoing it? Is Bob underdoing it? Is, you know, are we both completely doing it wrong? That's the kind of stuff that Josh can help you with. Um, our experience, well... Time is everything because we can't make time. We have to take time <laughs> or you can just buy somebody else to do it for you. And that's what Bob and I have done with uh, Beatty Bar Media. Um, side note, I always tell my kids, the reason that we have an economy and whatnot is because you're really you're buying other people's time because everyone, we've got the same thing. And really, you're deferring these tasks by buying somebody else's time. So if you don't want to sit around editing all day and it's still not come out great, you want Josh. Um, so... Just for listeners of the Bob and Kevin show, or at least with this promo code, Beatty Bar Media is offering a 10% discount on any new project for listeners of the Bob and Kevin show. That's the show in case you didn't realize, you know, in case you like <laughs> skipped ahead or something, you know, something like that. Uh, you need to visit www.beatty-bar.media slash BK show to claim your discount. Keep in mind, you need to do the slash BK show. So shows like ours get credit for the or, you know, like a referral code, because if you just go there, that's fine. Josh will hook you up. But we want you to do BK show. So we're like, see, that came from this show and us. All right, back to you guys. Wait, wait, wait. I have to interrupt after the read because so the take time, make time <laughs> thing. I yes. know we've talked about this a million times, and it's funny that you asked Josh, did we talk about how I tell this to my kids all the time? I have somehow, over the last many years of knowing you, Bob, absorbed through osmosis that you've 
beat this into all your children somehow, somewhere. Yes, and now, I did. That's what was just so funny you brought it up. <laughs> and, and now it's, well, and it, by association, I tell my kids the exact same thing. Kids, we can't make time. We can only take it from something else. And if you have no time to take, hire somebody. And that's another reason to get Baby Bar Media. Anyway, moving on. Oh, since we're on the dad thing, so... My son, Grant, who was on the episode last week. Yeah. You know what really grinds my gears? So (laughs) I was last podcast, Bob's like, so do you call your dad dad or do you call him Kevin? And he looks at me, Grant, that is, well, dad, because it's just not a thing. So starting this week, what does he call me? He calls me Kevin from now on. Thanks, Ah! Bob. (laughs) So, so alleged. Oh, no. Yeah. It doesn't really bother me, but it's just like, it's very hipster for Midwestern Indiana, right? Like, hey, Kevin, hi, Grant. You know, you know, father-son relation. It's just not very Midwestern, but apparently uh, we are on the hipster train here in I'm so sorry Indiana. I planted that seed. It's really Joshua's sister's fault, I think. Josh, can you confirm yeah. or deny that? No, you're right. Like like you said last week, I think that was definitely something that Lillian, uh, my, my younger sister, started. Um, and then Owen, my brother, and I picked up on it later. Um, there's definitely still instances where I'll call you dad. It's Most of it's, you know, in our text conversations back and forth, especially like he's uh, he's always been very big or especially like in the recent years on, on saying I love you to family more. So there's a lot of uh, like personal exchanges that have happened now and in those, sometimes I'll be more conscious to say dad, but yeah, most of the other stuff. Is so it goes Bob, like this, hey, you know, which is interesting. Hey, Bob, uh, can you go scrape my windows or, hey, dad, can I have 20 bucks? It kind of goes like that, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, situational, exactly. Gotcha. Just checking. That's kind of how it's working out here, too. So, <laughs> All right, back to the music talk or audio talk on the Bob and Kevin show. Hey, so I sent you guys both a link of a new mic. or I think it's a new mic that just came out from Shure that is kind of like their intro level to the SMB7. Is that right? Yeah. So the SM7B is, uh, it's, it's one of the, you know, like industry standard radio mics, uh, the RE20 from, I don't actually know the company that makes it offhand, um, is the other one. But yeah, this this looks to be uh, like a different model of the SM7B that's that's geared towards podcasters and especially in this uh, you know remote COVID age. So it's got a USB interface built in, much like those like the Blue Yeti mics. Right, but it can I know go you used XL- to have one of those. It can go XLR or USB. It looks like. Yeah, that's that's pretty fancy. That's that's a new thing. So just for lay radio folks, the the mic that you just mentioned the sm7b that's also known to me as the joe rogan podcast mic right it's the ones they use on their episodes yes yes and they go for like what 650 is that right yeah six seven hundred dollars for those in this s or this mv7 the new one from sure i think goes for about 250 so yeah, that's what I'm seeing on the site here. I'm on Amazon, unless you need extra bells and whistles. About four hundred dollars for the SM7B at the moment. Um, there are some. Diff- there's a cloud lifter you can get with it for another one hundred and fifty bucks. Bob, can you tell me real quick? You mentioned the cloud lifter. Is that just like an inline amplifier? What does that do for you? Yeah, it gives you about uh, th- an extra twenty five dB without having to turn any dials, so it's so clean, it's, uh, low noise gain. If you will. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I have my gain on my interface set pretty low. So I'm really close, but I'm never, like, unless something hilarious happens, I'm never even coming close to peeking out. So. Gotcha. So I have a new toy box. It's called a TC Helicon. It's a red box called a mic mechanic made by, I think, TC Helicon. And what it's... What it does is it it gives you that voice of God and kind of these different reverb settings. Can also give you like these echo. You hear me? Echo. That's really annoying. Yes. Okay. I'll stop that. But the really cool part is it has a. Uh, if I wanted to sing, it has an auto tutor. You can kind of hear it's a chorusy effect here, and it would have an auto tutor. And then it also has another button that's supposed to 
uh, auto limit and auto EQ you based on some sort of chip inside that analyzes your voice. So I'm trying it out. We'll see how it goes. But uh, can you uh, can you let the listeners know at home and more importantly us in studio how much did you drop on that little magic box? So a rack mounted auto tuner is going to run you about four fifty five hundred dollars, and they're pretty good. And this is your pop star can almost sing, but now they can sing with a twist of a dial. Uh, this is a pedal version, and um, it's meant uh, as an inline dealio, and it was one hundred fifty bucks. And you can, you know, because normally you want your sound engineer to be controlling all your effects. Not, so I get that. But a lot of small time bands and gigs, they don't have traveling sales or sale, sound person with them, right? So <laughs> uh, what does a guitar player do? <laughs> they have a guitar pedal for distortion, reverb, chorus, uh, delay, you know, all these uh, compressor. Well, the, the, the singer is like, hey, I want to play too. I want to have a cool little toy box. And so this is for the musician or the, the, the singer, if you will. And, uh, give themselves a little bit of wetness. So Bob always is saying wet and dry and he can explain what that means. Cause I finally know what that means. I used to not know what that means, but now I do know what that means, but the auto tuner, I've been trying it out. And uh, if you can hear a chorus effect, what it does is it takes the chromatic scale. So if you're singing like at an a or just a few cents short of an a, it'll bump you up to the, the a and, and then, so it won't sing for you, but what it does do is it, it, kind of supplements your voice and brings your voice up to pitch. Now, if you hear yourself with a chorus effect, you know, I, this is all the way at 100%. What it does is it's playing your voice untuned and your tuned voice in parallel. That's why you hear it kind of diverge a little bit. So that's the auto-tuner going, Kevin, you're not even talking in tune. Yeah, well, I'm not singing. So <laughs> anyway, it's just kind of this weird, <laughs> weird little cool toy box I got. And of course, I can have... The voice of God. So wait, no. so help me out. So did you get it? Did you get it for the auto tune for singing at church gigs or did you get it for voice of God or did you get it just because Kevin has too much disposable income? Well, um, it could be a little bit of all three. So, you know, I'll, I'll you know, let's go with all the above. And I'm going to call BS on the wet dry because you do have guitar pedals and you've had them forever. And I'm pretty sure anything that's got a reverb on it has a wet dry dial. Well, yeah. So if you have, so my guitar effects are an all in one unit, but back in the day when I was younger, I used to have individual stomp boxes and then each one. So yeah, it's for the lay person. And this is how I understand it. A wet sound is a reverby sound. So an echoey room and a no reverb is a dry sound. So the room I'm sitting in used to be super echoey, if, if you remember, Bob, because I just moved in and there was nothing in here. Now I have so much crap everywhere in this room, it just absorbs all the sound and nothing can reflect right back in here. So, so you're you not even using the blankets anymore? No. <laughs> and Josh may giggle. When he, yeah, I had moving blankets all around. In fact, if you look at my ceiling, there's actually a, a chain. Actually, it's a steel cable right now. I used to hang moving blankets, big, thick moving blankets to knock down sound. And it worked great, but it just looked stupid. So eventually I got enough junk in here. And then now it's, you know, sounding pretty good. He's not going to laugh. <laughs> Tell him that's a pro move. No, yeah, moving blankets are kind of your like go-to DIY fix anything. We actually we use those for several applications at Waveform still. Oh. They're great. Uh, you know, get rid of reverb, hide a body, you know, before you throw it out into the river, <laughs> you know, moving blankets. Yeah, whatever you need. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so All right, um, so Oh. <laughs> awkward. Go ahead. Wow, but, jinx. Yeah. Um so I met a church in a band and we got a really cool Behringer X32 uh, mixer. And we've got like this thing that's a satellite thing that hooks to it. So you can have like remote inputs. And what it really is, is way too complicated for the staff <laughs> that we, we have running it. Um, if I could, if I could give them advice on how to adjust each channel you know think of we have a, a drums we have keyboards we have many vocalists we have guitar players is there any general advice i can get, pass on to them for free because you know and you're, you're on the podcast and i can do that i can just ask you for free advice um that i could pass along well, to them <laughs> to to be like there's what you want to be looking for when you're trying to mix something or you know i don't know is there any just general advice to audio engineer stuff's 
Yeah. I mean, the most important thing for that and like the most basic thing you could do is to uh, balance the volumes. So with the faders, having a good volume balance is like the key number one thing, um, especially as a starting point. Um, So if you can get a good volume balance between all of your uh, all of your channels, that's, you know, you could get away with that probably and only that if you had to. Um, But yeah, so balance your volumes uh, after that. Um, get rid of everything uh, frequency-wise that you don't need. So EQ. I don't know if you guys have, yeah, EQ. So if you've used even just the roll-off or like a, like a high-pass filter, um, there's a lot of low information on stuff, like the human voice for this stuff uh, that we don't actually use. So like if you are you have singers, you could high-pass their stuff so you don't get like handling noise on the microphones, you don't get those plosives. Um Say on your your drum overheads, you could high pass those pretty high because you know you don't really need to get you know the bass drum and snare drum and overheads. You really just want to get mostly the cymbals. Um, so that's another way to help kind of clean up your mix even before you dig in and do like tonal EQ, which is like the the shaping stuff you do with your voice. He just totally reminded me of the burning question I wanted to ask you. So I'm looking at my speaking voice in. Reaper, I have a, a live meter, you know, it goes from minus 50 something decibels up to zero. Is there, should I be aiming for a certain amount of gain that that meter hits? Should I be trying to get to close to zero without peaking? Should I be in the six, negative six decibel range? Am I just completely off base? What should I be looking for when I look at that meter? Um, in the digital age, it's not super important anymore. I mean, now that you know, I mean, if you go above uh, zero, probably on your meter going above zero is not going to distort. Um, but if you go, you know, high enough, it's probably it probably goes up to plus twelve or plus fifteen on your meter there, and then you would start to distort. Um, but generally, you know, getting the the highest signal before distortion is what you want to aim for. Um, it was it was really more important in the analog days. All that circuitry really functioned, you know, the best at like a specific. Uh, level of you know electrical flow um but in the digital world that's not really super important anymore so just getting the best signal to noise ratio is what you want to shoot for and then i use what a do you noise normalize gate. us to go ahead bob yeah Josh, what do you normalize us to uh well it depends so i mean after processing uh i do a couple levels levels of limiting so i'll limit each of your voices and then i'll do a final limit on the the overall thing so the entire podcast episode you'll see oh it peaks at minus one db because that's where i've limited it um but the dynamic range has been compressed a little bit and also with the limiting it kind of it cuts off when you go above uh the threshold that i've set so most of your stuff is sitting around like the the minus minus ten to minus five dB in in like loudness. Yep. Cool. So I usually use a noise gate because um, if I don't use one, you know, sometimes the uh, the kids in the background down the hall, you know, will will yeah, you know, it's really low, but you can hear them in the background. Or sometimes I'll have the gain set to where there's a low hiss, but the noise gate filters all of that out. Is there any? Um, what, what are your go-to effects, if you will? And, and I'm just going to try to name them like I think they are, but equalizer, noise gate, compression, anything outside that that maybe I'm not thinking of. Uh, no, those are really the big three, especially for speech. Um, a limiter, like I said just a moment ago, is probably the fourth other important one that I would put in there. Um, so that's, you know, I'll do that just at the very end just to kind of catch any peaks that might still be a little... A little hotter even after the compression um there are some of my other podcasts where i have to use that uh rx software that i mentioned before to either like denoise it so you talked about that hiss that you get from your preamp um or just some background noise that might be picked up so again i can use like uh like those ai learning algorithms to to like teach it what the noise sounds like and then have it analyze the noise versus the voice and it'll kind of remove the noise in post. So maybe that I'd add as a fifth, but yeah, really those, those first three, you said, uh, EQ compression and gating are, you know, really all you need. Obviously if you keep using it, you're happy with the results, but I mean, for what you pay for that filtering, are you, I mean, are you a happy customer with the, the healing capabilities? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, for, 
for audio repair stuff, like this is top of the line. I don't even have the, you know, the like pro level of their software. They've got a couple different, you know, packages. I've got the mid-tier one, but yeah, they're they're the ones who are doing that kind of stuff. And is that a very happy? Is that them. a one-time purchase or is that a subscription purchase? It is a one-time purchase, but you know, they come out with new versions every year, so they still take your money on a regular basis <laughs> if you want to stay current. <laughs> very good. That's so awesome. I know you do some consulting with new clients or, you know, part of your business is doing consulting. Like, yes. I mean, what kind of stuff are you helping them with? Gear? I mean, tech? Uh, yeah, gear and tech and processing. So uh, most of the people actually are super similar to you guys and even even more specifically to Kevin, where they, they have their gear and they love their gear and they want to use it and know how to use it. Um, so what I've done a couple times now is, uh, you know, talk to people about the capabilities of the equipment they have and talk them through like the best settings to use on that equipment, you know, and why I try and teach them the why so that they understand like what's going on. And I don't just tell them like, oh yeah, put these settings and it'll be good. <laughs> and then, you know, they have to call me again. You know, I'd love that, but I try and add the value and actually teach them why. So we, we sort of have that going on at our church where, I'm trying, so I'm no expert audio engineer, but apparently I know a little bit um, compared to some folks. And I try to compare it to technology. It's less about remembering the specifics. It's more about remembering, here's what it's capable of doing. And here's the treatment to do it. So, you know, I, you know we, we've had some of those mm -hmm. you know, noise bleeds and I'm like, oh, it's probably, probably a gate. Hey, so-and-so, when they talk, they, over, they overdrive. Oh, we should probably put a compressor on them hey the it sounds like mud well you we should probably eq some of those things so I'm, I'm i'm trying um to to do that uh but i'm i'm at a disadvantage too one of those behringer x32 boards is just really over freaking whelming yeah there's especially with the digital stuff now there's a lot of options just so much to get lost in you know the possibilities are almost endless um it's it's good the the analogy you're making a technology you know these are these are all just tools right you gotta you gotta know what your problem is what tools you have at your disposal to solve the problem you know and then with that you figure out how to implement you know the tools to best solve your problem so I'd say that's all great advice you've been giving out there so I got some nerd questions so I I did I was in the army and we did a little basic electronics courses and stuff like that. <clears throat> And, and I don't want to put you on the spot here. If this is not your forte, sounds great. But so an XLR has got three prongs typically. And I think it's one, the extra one's a ground, but can, do you know the difference mm -hmm. between like a quarter inch balance versus unbalanced? I've always seen those terms and I just don't understand necessarily what that means. Is that something that comes up uh, in your field? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's something we learned about in school, and I, I use balanced cables all the time. I, I rarely use unbalanced cables, actually, for the kind of work that I do. Um, the balanced thing is, it actually has to do with phase. I don't know if you guys know about phase. Um, it's, you know, the relationship between two waves. And if they're in phase, then they're they're moving together in the same way. And if they're out of phase, you know, they're moving opposite. Um, so what a balanced cable does is you've got those three. You've got a positive, a negative, and a ground. Um, the positive side, you know, takes your regular signal, you know, moving in the positive direction uh, in phase. And then the negative side actually has the same signal out of phase, so the exact opposite of the signal. Um, and then any kind of interference, any kind of like electronic or electrical interference would get picked up on that ground wire and mixed in um, but then at the end, when those all recombine at the other end of the cable and the, the in-phase and out-of-phase uh, signals with, with the interference are put back together, because the interference is in-phase on one and out-of-phase on the other, it'll actually cancel out whatever interference it's picking up. So uh -huh. balanced cables will get you a clean signal and avoid that interference, where an unbalanced cable is just a positive and a negative, um, or maybe a positive and a ground. I don't actually know uh, for sure. What would be the benefit but of a balanced you, or an unbalanced cable? There's really not a huge benefit. They, you know, they were around before they figured out how to do balanced cables is really what it is. Um, for high impedance signals or like, you know, high current signals, they're uh, less prone to picking up interference. So like 
like your guitar, you can use an unbalanced cable and it's fine because, you know, that's a strong enough thing. But like, like a mic level signal, like we use these XLR cables for is, is a much smaller uh, current. It's much less electricity going through. So, you know, just like, uh, your mic there that you use your cloud lifter for, you know, you can pick up a lot more interference when your gain is cranked, Yeah, you know, versus when it's not. Or if your phone rings and it's near any of the cables. <laughs> right. If that, so that would be shielding actually. There's a, uh, there's, there's, uh, like, like grids, metal grids inside these cables, uh, that are electromagnetic shielding. If you ever put your phone by a cable and you hear that, like, or whatever, that's, that's a bad shield. That's because that, uh, electromagnetic, you know, waves are being picked up on your cable. So does that mean cheap cable? Yeah, cheap cable, damaged cable. Um, it, it it's a it's a mesh that it's usually on the outside, and it works, I believe, like a Faraday cage, where it basically just blocks the EMI. So, so I was mm-hmm. when, when I was in the army, I did a lot of uh, nerd stuff. I was satellite communications, so a lot of this came up where you know power lines and whatnot. So next next kind of related topic is sixty hertz hum. So you know. In, in your house, you have regular electricity. It's at 60 hertz usually. That's what, you know, AC power is. Part of this stack that's way too expensive and unnecessary for me has a Furman power conditioner in it too. So I can... Josh is a big fan of power conditioning. Okay. So that's... So at the church, it's like built in 1883 and gone through like 12 different iterations of whatever electricity looked like over the years. So I'm pretty sure they need one because, you know, the ground, ground's important, right? And then talk to us a little bit about power conditioners and why we might need one. Yeah, I mean, for a lot of the stuff I I do, I don't think I really need a power conditioner. I just use it, you know, because it's like a nice, big, fancy power strip. Um, but I, I think the idea with those is that, uh, you know, that AC power that we have, is not always super consistent either. Uh, the voltage or wattage, whichever the two, I'm not really an electrical guy. So you're, <laughs> you're the expert here on this yep. stuff, Kevin. Um, but whatever that is, uh, that signal strength of the current is not always even. What a power conditioner does is takes that and, you know, buffers it. They've, it, or has like resistance in it that'll take it and kind of even it out. So especially for this kind of like expensive equipment that a lot of audio people use, it really works best if there's, you know, consistent load for it to draw. So from. Uh, there's there's a little bit of a synergy with computer systems. So a backup battery, like a UPS, an uninterruptible power supply. So you can plug that into dirty power, and then you plug your computer into the battery side. And what it does is it charges the battery and then it pulls from there. So that it works as a, a clean power as well, because DC power, direct current, is typically clean because it's uh, not a sine wave and doesn't do all kinds of weird stuff where the AC power is that sine curve. And that's where it's, you know, like I said, it's inconsistent. Um, you know, back in the day, stuff just wasn't grounded. And I believe the ground has a lot to do with um, some <laughs> of that, you know, getting rid of some of that hum and whatnot and, and the danger. So, yeah, I've, I've got one, <laughs> but it's probably unnecessary. I, I live in a brand new house, probably less necessary, but I know for audio, you know, if you if you want to like totally remove noise from the system, you got to pull out all the tricks, and I've I've tried to pull out all the tricks here, uh, at the chagrin of my checking account or the detriment of it. That is rather. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, Josh, if I can, I would like to pivot to kind of like a discussion about you being an entrepreneur and the usage or the importance of social media in that role as an entrepreneur, but then also how that dovetails into your personal experiences with social media. Cause we do touch on that topic a lot here on the Bob and Kevin show. So first, if you could talk about how important social media is from a business perspective, and then kind of contrast that with your personal social media usage. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, I think for, for business use, uh, and actually like we were, like you guys discussed last week with, uh, Grant Kevin's son, Social media can be a great tool for businesses uh, just for, you know, awareness. You know, you can find new clients, new leads through social media. It's good to just have a presence so people can find you. Um, with my personal stuff, I actually don't have a lot going on with my social media right now. I'm I'm trying to put content out there. Uh, I have followers that are really only in my personal circle anyway. So 
I don't think I'll be finding clients through social media anytime soon, but it's, it's been interesting to kind of, you know, put my brand out there on social media. Um, for my personal use, actually, I, I've been trying to do a similar thing, uh, be more, more like intentional in my usage of it. I know, uh, you guys talked about the social dilemma a while back and I actually, uh, have not watched that yet. Still, still haven't watched it. Um, but separate from that, I decided to take the Facebook app off my phone a couple weeks ago. Um, because I, I am a doom scroller, like, like Kevin often, uh, names himself on here. Um, I, I was definitely someone who would sit for, you know, two to three hours total a day, just like scrolling through Facebook and, you know, most of it is, you know, useless inspirational videos are actually like content advertising, not really my friends that I want to see. So but quick as- I've tried to get away from that. Quick aside there, remember yeah. back, taking it back to the make time, take time. Social Dilemma talks about this. The reason Facebook and social media in general, what is their purpose? Their purpose is to waste your time as much as possible. And, you know, when you start thinking mm-hmm. about Bob's or your dad's old you know, saying you can't make time, take time. But, you know, social media sure as hell takes a lot of your time. And um, realizing that, you know, over the years that what's our most valuable resource? It isn't money. It's time. I can get more money. I can't get more time. So, you know, that's where social media for me is just like, oof, this really is an addiction. This really is a bad habit. Anyway, back to you, Josh. Yeah, well, everything Kevin just said there, it it is an addiction. I've uh I've noticed it recently and tried to make a change. It's it's going pretty well. I uh I check Facebook a couple times a day on my desktop computer here and I I try and just, you know, make a post to my business page and I've never really been an avid poster on my personal uh page, but I might try and change that here as well. Do you, when you think about the addiction aspect of it and you think about kind of like the business implication or the ability to reach a bunch of people from that business perspective, do you find those two things at odds with each other? And like, I mean, do you think that will impede your marketing efforts? I mean, like, how do you, how do you manage all that together? I guess is the question. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I, so I deleted the Facebook app. I kept Facebook messenger or just messenger as they're branding it. Um, so I can still communicate via the platform. And, uh, I also use, uh, a separate, uh, product called HubSpot, which is a CRM, uh, client relationship management software, um, that I actually have linked to my Facebook page and website as well. So if someone tries to contact me through that Facebook page, I'll be notified and I've got all those channels open still. Um, but yeah, I, I don't really think there'll be any issues in trying to, you know, balance my use of social media personally with, you know, using it for business. So the stuff. HubSpot layer can actually give you a layer of protection because that's almost just, you're using that to push and maybe receive direct messaging. So that could actually keep you off the platform, but still allowing you to take advantage of the marketing activity of the platform. Is that fair accurate uh kind of i think again we off offline we've had this discussion uh about hubspot not integrating with social media for posting oh Um, that's right really it's just it's just for like messaging so you know if someone goes to my page and clicks to message me i could get notified and communicate through hubspot um but if i want to post right now i still have to you know go on to facebook and type up a post on facebook and post it on the show we have we i kind of guess took lead on the social media aspect of the show lately which has been good and bad and there and not but uh i discovered hootsuite kind of gives me that layer of protection now of course it also gives you the tooling to spam your feed with the same posts over and over again by scheduling it but uh <laughs> The free version does limit you on how many posts you can schedule out, but I mean, I don't know. I'm just looking for a way to like, just have discussion around isolating the bad, but still taking advantage of the good, but is the good actually good or is it participating in the bad? Uh, It's such a, (laughs) such a mess, but I do feel like it's a vital business tool. I, I keep thinking the, uh, Currency of social media is outrage and extreme, you know, whatever that is. And I don't know that 
it's you know it's like a demagoguery where it's like appealing as they say in the social uh, dilemma it's appealing to our primal instincts hey we want to know what that girl was doing i used to date in high school hey you know you know you know add all these things hey it looks like you don't have an interaction so let's throw them this little piece of bait you know that brings them back in it's as long as that's what social mm-hmm. media is i don't know that it's ever going to be a, a positive part of <laughs> bob you remember myspace Maybe MySpace had it right. <laughs> well, I think to be fair, the other platforms when they initially came out had it equally as right as MySpace. It was the fact that they learned that they could dictate behavior. And monetize on taking our time. Yeah, that's where it all went south because in the beginning, advertising wasn't the model. They didn't have a model, you know? <laughs> It was so I'm friends with the guy named Tom who never changes his profile picture. I can upload some weird CSS to my uh my page and change completely change the layout. So there was probably a little micro economy of MySpace themes, but you're right. It it was actually social media in its purest form. It's like, no, you just follow who you want and and yeah, and the feed it. was the feed. There was no algorithm. So if your friend posted a thousand things in a row, guess what? Unfortunately, you saw all those a thousand things, but then you saw your other friends post immediately following that in the timeline. But now there's no such thing. I don't even know why they call them timelines. I guess they call them feeds now because they're just feeding you what they want you to see. There's no rhyme nor reason, reason to the time scale or anything. I, I, I think it's a, a paradox of, do you want social media to be non-predatory um, and eventually go out of business because it can't monetize or do you want it to be sustaining and give a little piece of your pri- I would say maybe a lot of piece of your privacy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know to keep it uh, funded Ugh. yeah no and you can't have it both ways at all so bleh. it's bad so uh, yeah gross. Cheryl Sandberg did mention or I think it was her how much how much is a Facebook user worth and it was like nine dollars a month right and if if Facebook wrote you a check for nine dollars a month would that be satisfactory as far as what you have to give for that and I would say not even not even close I mean whatever you know it's 90 it's just over 100 bucks a year 108 bucks no thanks <laughs> you know for for what they take from you. I take 118 bucks a year, at least as some kind of compensation, instead of just giving it away for nothing. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to use it anyway, I might as well get paid for it. But well, I don't know if that was like a like on the sign up. If it was give us all this and we'll give you this much money, I don't think that would be worth it at face value. Well, it's like you're 23 and me. Once you give your DNA over, that's it. You've lost uh, the chain of custody on that. It's not like you can say, okay, now I want it back because it's been digitized and shared over and over and over again. There is no unposting on the internet, as your dad would say. Once it's out there, it's out there. So mm-hmm. once you cash that hundred and some dollar check and you can't have, you can't be like, um, you know, here's your hundred bucks back, you know? <laughs> okay, great. But we've already shared that to all of our developers in our network. It's gone. <laughs> hey, they, they asked them to stop doing that. <laughs> oh, I saw that headline the other day. Hey, stop using our data for research. Well, how about you stop making it available? How about we start with that? <laughs> Can't put it back in the tube. They already let it out. So, so anyway. Josh, how, how do you feel? So I'm trying to put this into words. So as, as anyone grows up, we think we're in some new era of where it's, oh, it's worse now than it was before. But really, it's just a rolling expectation right because bob and i knew a pre-social media world where younger kids have never grown up in anything other than a social media world and for me i think it's gotten so invasive but for you you've always had social media in your life right so for you do you feel like social media is invasive or not yeah i think i'm i'm more in the boat of it doesn't really feel invasive to me um i've I've had a Facebook actually since I was very young. I think my dad was actually like supportive of us making Facebooks before their, you know, age limit, you know. So I had one before I was 15 or whatever it was to go on at the time. Um, And I never really knew about all the, you know, data harvesting until honestly, like 
six or five or six years ago, probably I was just, you know, using it blindly and I didn't even know how much time it was sucking for me either. So yeah, I don't know. Um, thankfully I've never been like a, a multi social media user. I really have stuck to Facebook and scrolling Facebook. Um, I have a Twitter. I have probably made like 10 posts on it total ever. And those were in, you know, those were five years ago, nothing recent. I use Snapchat rarely. Uh, I have an Instagram that also, again, the last post is probably two, three years old now. Um, so it's not a, not a huge part of my life, but it's definitely something that's always been there. And I really never thought about how much data they were taking so, from me. Last question. So you ever seen the fa- second to last question, you ever seen the movie, the founder with about Ray Kroc and McDonald's. So in that movie, no. uh, he, uh, Ray Kroc tells the McDonald's brothers, you know, guys, you're not in the burger business. You're in the real estate business because they own actually so many locations across the country. So really McDonald's is more about real estate than it is about burgers and fries. Though. So, all three of us would agree that's not the case, probably. Mm, talk, give me some fries. So now I'm hungry. The last, <laughs> the last question is, is, is Facebook a social media company or an advertising company? And you can't say both. Oh, man. I mean, if you follow the money, they're an advertising company, right? So yeah, All right. I, I just, just curious. There's no know. right or wrong answer there, but because they sell themselves as a social media company, but I now look at them as, oh, they're, they're an advertising company, period. Yeah, I think I think I've shifted on that too, especially since like making a business page on Facebook pretty recently. Um, I've been looking at all, you know, my engagement numbers and everything, and they're it's always asking me, you know, boost your post, and I get notifications like boost your post to reach more people. You know, they're yeah, they they just want your money, they want you to advertise, and I think that's all it is now. Yeah, you should click the button once just to look at how you can target those ads because it's it's pretty spooky. Scary. <laughs> yeah, it is. All right. All right. So much, much like the the show Hot Ones, Josh. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but the uh, the wrap up of the show is all yours. If there's anything you want to close with or promote or ask of us, uh, the time is yours, as they say. I don't think I have anything else. This has all been super cool stuff. It's uh, been a pleasure to be on the show. Thank you guys for having me, and thanks for doing that live read as always. Um, for anyone else listening, if you have any kind of media project, if you're looking to start a podcast, if you've got some videos to edit, uh, if you're a home, a DIY home musician with some stuff you're trying to record and you just need some advice, uh, reach out to me on Facebook. You can find me at Beatty Bar Media. Uh, you can also view my work on my website at www.beatty-bar.media. Uh, that's Beatty Bar Media. Thanks for having me on, guys. Hey, have you ever wondered how you can get in touch with us at The Bob and Kevin Show? Well, first, you can try us via email at comments at bobandkevinshow.com. Or are you more into social? If so, you can find us on Twitter at Bob and Kevin Show. Or on Instagram as Bob N. Kevin Show. That's Bob, the letter N, Kevin Show. And if you're still on Facebook, you can even find us at facebook.com slash Bob and Kevin Show. And for the serious business fans, you can even find us on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash company slash the dash Bob dash Kevin dash show. How's that for a handle? Let's connect.